Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from June 6th by Jeff Anderson, titled, Showing God's Grace to Those We Don't Like. We all know what we feel like when the bad guy in the movie gets what's coming to him at the end. We kind of take a little bit of pleasure and relish in that. Um, Some of you have a sports team that you just despise. And so you don't care who beats them. All you care is that they get beat. And you take a little bit of joy and pleasure when that happens. I've got a buddy, he lives in Texas. He's a big Baylor fan. And every time I've heard him say the words A&M, it's, it's not been A&M, it's been A&M. You know, the bad guys, they're the evil ones. They're the ones that you don't like. I want to introduce you to a German word today. It's called Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. You want to say that together with me? Schadenfreude. And it takes two words, harm and joy, and combines them together. Schaden is harm, Freude is joy or happiness. And it's that joy, it's kind of, it takes things a step further. It's that malicious, malevolent joy that we feel when our enemies suffer, when something bad happens to them. And so there's all kinds of examples I could could bring up to you, but I was thinking of, of, of some of them. Uh, like, for example, you know what it is like, probably, to have been terminated from a job. Somebody comes up to you and, uh, you know, they just say, hey, maybe they didn't like you, they didn't relate to you well, and so they, um, they say, you know, you're, you're done here. And then a little bit later, after that, they themselves get fired. What do you feel like? What goes on through your heart when that happens to you? Or you're driving along and uh, you've got two lanes that are going in the same direction and somebody's weaving in and they, they cut you off and, and uh, then they get snookered in the slower lane and you just kind of glide on by, pass by them. How do you feel? That's schadenfreude. Okay. And I'm sad to say that in the last decade or so, we have made schadenfreude a national pastime in our country, where individuals have whoever the they are, the enemy, whether it's political or religious or geographical or racial, whoever that is, Those are the people that we take this perverse delight in seeing them suffer. And it's sad to say that even in Christian communities, you see different groups, and it it used to be denominational, and no one's too into denominations these days. But sometimes there are theological differences between one religious group and another or a teaching that they might have. And there's kind of this relish or this joy that happens when someone sees someone from the other side, whether it's political or religious, see someone from the other side fall into some kind of problems 
themselves. If Schadenfreude has a patron saint, guess who it is? It's Jonah. <laughs> Jonah absolutely hated the Assyrians, and for very good reasons. It was the Assyrians who came in 722 and laid siege to the city of Samaria, the capital city, and they locked that city up for over 18 months. And it got so bad in that city that there was no food and there was no wa very little water for people to have access to. And the Bible talks about during some of these sieges where food got so scarce that people were actually... Uh, murdering their own family members to eat them and have something to eat. It was terrible that the Assyrians, that the Assyrians put the Sumerians through. And so Jonah was this guy who absolutely detested the Assyrians and the capital city where most of the Assyrians lived, the city of Nineveh. And that's what this story in Jonah is all about. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 this morning, and I'm going to be doing some um, on-the-road edits as we walk through this message because the children's sermon has walked through this story so well for us today. Proverbs 24:17 is clear. We'll look at uh, Jonah in just a second, but Proverbs 24:17 says, "Don't gloat when your enemy falls, and don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles, or the Lord will see." And be displeased and turn his wrath away from him. That's the warning that God gives us. And I was thinking how Jesus is uh, uh, very different from Jonah in the New Testament, where Jesus sees Jerusalem and he knows all that Jerusalem has stood for in terms of its opposition to God and its arrogance and its self willfulness. And Jesus he doesn't throw stones at Jerusalem. He weeps over what he sees happening to this city. It destroys him and it hurts him. I can't remember the tune of this old song, but maybe some of you have that can remember the hymns. You remember the song, There's a Wideness in God's Mercy? Let me just read you the lyrics to that. David, you probably know. You, you can probably hum it to yourself as I'm reading the lyrics. I've, I've long since lost. Okay, all right. <laughs> There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice, which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in his blood. But we make God's love too narrow by false limits of our own. And we magnify its strictness with a zeal God will not own. For the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If our love were but more simple, we should rest upon God's word, and our lives would be illumined by the presence of the Lord. That's the message that we're here to convey to you today, is God's mercy, not just to us and to our family and those that we love, but God extends that same mercy to our enemies, to those that we don't like, to those that who have humiliated us or those who have hurt us in some way, to those who are different from us in 
many, many ways. God loves that person or that group just as much as he loves each one of us. And I know we know that, but our emotions and our heart's actions betray what our mind knows when it comes to what happens to those enemies that come around us. Well, as we learned during our children's sermon, Jonah went into Nineveh against his will, dragging, kicking, and screaming. God first calls him in chapter 1. He calls him again in chapter 3. And in between these two halves of the book, you know, Jonah flees and gets on this boat and heads in the opposite direct direction. He is swallowed by this big fish, puked up on the shore, and finally gets the message. And he goes, but he goes angrily, reluctantly, bitterly. His message to Nineveh is five words in Hebrew. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. 40 days and you're done. Well, the king picks up on this and the people pick up on this and they go, well, maybe possibly if we repent, God will change his mind and God will have mercy on us. And that's exactly what happens is the entire city repents. The king repents and puts on sackcloth. He commands that every person in the city repent and put on sackcloth. He even puts sackcloth on the animals in the city. If you read this story carefully in chapter 3, the entire city repents, which is not what Jonah wants to hear. Jonah had a deep-seated fear. And that fear may have been what might happen to him when he goes to a foreign city. This was a foreign call that God gave him to go to another country. And that fear that Jonah had might have been the reaction that the Ninevites might have toward him. But his deepest fear is revealed in chapter 4 that I'd like us to read now because his deepest fear conveys what's going on in his heart. His fear is that God will forgive and have compassion on the people that he hates the very most because he knows God's character and he knows that's what God is like. So let me read this to you. And as you are um, uh, listening to chapter four here, I want you to listen for four questions that we're just going to quickly walk through as we make application to this today. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. So end of chapter three, the entire city repents. God forgives them just like God does. He shows compassion on them. He averts this disaster that's coming their way. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away, take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. Talk about an overreaction, right? Better for me to die than, for, than to live. The Lord replied, have you got the right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at the place east of the city. 
There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Small things please small minds, right? But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, here's the third question, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has far more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned? Here's the last question. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Chapter 4 begins with Jonah's reaction to what's going on, and this is really difficult to translate into English, but um, it's piled up with uh, words that are used several times in a row here. Basically, it's saying that, that Jonah was really, really disgusted with what was going on, and literally it says, and it burned him. It made him burn with fire. He was so angry as to what had happened. And so he... Um, begins with this first question and a prayer. Now, there's already been one prayer earlier in chapter 2 in Jonah, but this is a second prayer, and he prays to the Lord, and he says this, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? Think about that. Is this not? He says, I knew what was going to happen. Didn't I say this before I ran from you the first time? And it kind of stuck with me when that uh, phrase there where it says, isn't this what I said when I was still at home, before I ever left, before I ever did anything? And it made me think how um, from the viewpoint of our couches or the viewpoint of our living rooms or the viewpoint of our homes, things can look very different to us. And as they say, um, perennial bench warmers make first-rate critics. And that's what we find often. Jonah says, hey, look, didn't I just say this before I left? I knew this was the kind of God that you were. I just knew that this was going to happen. So Jonah makes explicit here why he fled to Tarshish in the first place. It was because he knew that God would forgive these enemies that he detested. And he quotes this verse here in um, these opening uh, few verses, the first couple verses of chapter set four. He says, I know that you are a gracious, or I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That sentence there is kind of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. 
it's repeated numerous times in the Old Testament. Its original setting was right after the golden calf story in the book of Exodus, where Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, and the people are down at the beginning, they're at the, at the bottom of the mountain, and they're beginning to worship other gods and to build idols and to be characterized by all kinds of false worship. And, and God is ready to just turn his back on these people, but God relents and forgives and shows grace and mercy to them. And in Exodus 34, it uses this uh, sentence exactly as we read it here in chapter 4 of Jonah, that God is slow to anger, that God is abounding in love, and God is the kind of God that forgives. So Jonah knows this. He's got his theology straight. He knows the truth about God's character. But his, that truth is in direct contrast with his own prejudices. And his own prejudices are against a nation that is different from him, a nation that is foreign from him, a group of people from a different race than he had, and in his mind, he knows, he knows the right stuff. He knows that God is a living God, and God is a loving God. But he just can't quite go there to extend that same love and compassion to his enemies. And that's the question and the challenge that God is bringing to us today, is are we willing to let it go? Are we willing to let our enemy off the hook? Are we willing to forgive as God forgives and let the people that have hurt us, that have despised us, that have humiliated us, let them begin again? Let them start over. Some of you have experienced that firsthand with a divorce, and at the beginning, right after that divorce, your heart was torn and you were full of anger and, and you wanted nothing but misery to come upon the person that, that um, left you. But as time went along, you realized the danger in that and, and you worked through that and began to love and forgive and, and somehow God worked in your heart and your life to, to see that love and see that concern and express that in a personal way. So you all know kind of what that is like through lots of different applications that you've had. Maybe you've had a teenager that uh, stole the car, stole, can you say that about your own kid? Borrowed the car without your permission, took off for hours, days maybe, that child that you cared for and longed for and loved and nourished and you did all these things for them and they just threw it back in your lap and in spite and hatred. Um, that's the kind of grace and mercy that we're talking about. We all experience what it's like to be hurt, to be despised, to be humiliated, Will we let it go? Or are we going to be some kind of bean counter that requires the exact same price to be paid that they pay 
that the price we paid. That's the message of what we're driving for this morning. So there's a couple suicidal prayers here in the midst of these four questions. And uh, Jonah just says, hey, look, if this is the way you're going to be, God, then just take my life. Just kill me. And it made me think there were other prophets in the Bible, Elijah for one, that prayed these same kind of suicidal prayers. Is that, oh, you know, it, it would just be better off for me to be dead. Job said, I wished I'd never been born. God, I just, just wished it had never happened. So he's not the only one to experience this. But yet we see this painfully in his heart. Notice the callousness of what Jonah does here. Um, when he first, when God first asked this question, hey, Jonah, do you have the right to be angry? Jonah just doesn't even respond. He gets up and walks away. God says, Jonah, really, do you have the right to be so angry? Jonah says nothing. Gets up, walks away, goes out of the city, goes up on a hill, and waits to see what's going to happen. And that's when the plant grows up and gives him the shade, and he's happy, and then the worm comes and devours, uh, attacks is the word that is literally used there. The worm attacks the plant, and the plant dies, and the shade is gone, and Jonah's back in the misery that he once had. Now, I don't know what he was waiting for. I don't know if he was waiting for the fireworks, waiting for God's judgment, maybe waiting to see if God would change his mind of his repentance and attack the city once and for all. But he had his chair. He had his shade. He had his lemonade at his side. He was ready to see what was going to happen to this enemy of his. Well, the thing that comes up is this huge scorching east wind. And in the Middle East there, that part of the Middle East, the, the winds usually came from the west with the Mediterranean. They had a, a little bit of moisture in them, a little bit of coolness. But sometimes the winds would blow the opposite direction from the east, from the desert. And uh, it would uh, blight all the plants and it would scorch people's crops and it would make life miserable for them and that's exactly what happens to Jonah as he's experiencing this event. The sun goes out and the sun attacks him and again he wishes to die. He says it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah asks him again a second time, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah says, heck yes, it is. I have the right to be angry. In fact, I'd just rather die. Why don't you just put me out of my misery? I was thinking um, there are a lot of other places in the Bible where God asks questions of his people. And as the saying goes, when God asks a question, it's not to gain information. So when God asks Jonah, Are you, is it right for you to be angry? He's trying to get at something in Jonah's heart 
in mind. I thought of the question to Adam in the garden. Um, Where are you, Adam? You think it's because God didn't know? Or to Adam and Eve, what is this you have done? Um, To Moses, what is this thing in your hand? These questions that come throughout the Bible where God asks individuals these questions. It's not to gain information. It's to cause people to think. And so this story ends with a question. And we don't know what Jonah does with this. The story is left unresolved. And the question is for us as readers and as um, followers of this study to ask this same question of ourselves. He says, should I not be concerned about this great city? And I think of the prejudices that we have. Does does God only love us and the people that look like us? And the people that speak the same language as us? Does God only love those that share love those that share our culture? Does God only love those who have the same political views or the same worldview that we have? No, God loves everyone because that is his nature. He is compassionate and he is gracious and he's merciful. As I looked at some passages, I was surprised to see that repentance isn't even a qualification for divine compassion. Now, repentance is good, God asks for repentance. But in Romans it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John, it says that uh, we can choose to love not because we love God, but God first loved us and gave himself for us. It's part of God's character, and that's who he is. So that's the message for us today, is that same question comes in our hearts and minds. And for application, I just want you to think, and and you may say, oh, I have no enemies. Okay, well, think about it a little bit. Are there those that have humiliated you, hurt you, said things that were painful, fired you, embarrassed you? Often our natural inclination is to meet back the same amount of suffering that they gave us. And that's disaster when that's our heart and that's our desire. God is a loving God, not just to us and our kind, but a loving God to everyone. And so our call is to give up that animosity, to give up that hatred, and to let God be God and be gracious to those, not just that we love, to those that are our friends, but also to our enemies as well. So may God give us that grace and mercy that we've been singing about all morning and that we're reading about in this text to those around us. Let's pray. 
Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.